Hey everybody, welcome to season two. We made it to season two. It's a miracle. Of Third Degree, the podcast. My name is Peter, and we have, we're doing this high style for season two, episode one. Don't get used to it, because we're not doing this again. No. <laughs> we're using an actual studio instead of trying to dial in remotely via the internet today. So we have our tr- traditional third degree panel across from me, directly in your right speaker, is Buzz Carrick editor of thirddegree.net and founder of such and the uh, also contributor to the Dallas Morning News. Thanks, Peter. Today I'm calling in from downtown Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make that joke when we're here in a studio, can we? No, we're no. just like, you're so, I can actually see you. Can we say where we are? Is that allowed? Uh, we're, yeah, we're at the ticket studios. Oh, there you go. See, yeah. We're big time. We are big we're time. We're kind of a big deal. Yeah. And uh, Dan Crook. The man that makes us credible because he has a British accent. Who knew it, would fa- who knew it was fake? And I, too, am calling him from the mothership. You are calling from the mothership. <laughs> uh, sorry about the uh, winning streak being broken for Luton Town. It's fine. 21 unbeaten. That's all that matters. And you're going to get a new stadium, too, aren't you? We are. Excellent. Fingers crossed if the shopping mall doesn't try and sabotage us. Well, the day is here. The 2019 season is upon us, and it arrives with a bit of a twist, something I don't think any of us were expecting a few months ago. We've talked about it endlessly. It arrives without Kellen Acosta, Victor Uoa, Mauro Diaz, and or Oscar Perea. This is a very, very different FC Dallas team for this year, or is it, Buzz? Oh, it's definitely different. No Maxi Ruti too, which is maybe even the biggest thing. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, he's the of of all those names, he's the one that changes things the most. Not for better or worse, for better yes. or worse. Yeah, <laughs> good player. Good player. I mean, we didn't have any complaints about him. Matter of fact, most everything Dallas did fed off of his defensive energy. But he's not here now, so the team's very different. New coach, different system. A lot of the same characteristics and same values because those guys all came up under. Pereja, and, and frankly, it's all been the same since Shellis Hyman was here, honestly. It's over like a 10-year run now. They've had the same character through the academy, same influences. So a lot of things about it are the same, but every coach has their own system, and specifically the 4-3-3 under Lucci is not incredibly different, but is different enough because it's going to include a high press. It's not going to include a number 10, which this team had a couple of and now doesn't. It has one, but it's not going to be seen very much. So things are going to be different, for sure. Dan, if there's one thing about the upcoming season that you are most looking forward to, what is it? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, having seeing a team with a plan B seems, um, you know, one of Oscar's faults. And it was the first thing he'd always hold his hands up was, if the team are a goal down, there isn't a system to change that. There isn't a substitution at the right time to change that. Um, Certainly seen Lucci in, in the youth teams go up against teams who are far better pressing, far better in possession than his teams, and he's gone and you know he's found his plan B and more often than not beat him. It's, it's just good to see a team that can kind of be adaptable. Yeah, I think all the talk about when, when Lucci was hired about this youth movement, and I'm using air quotes here, 
uh, as much as we know that it's not really a youth movement, they are doubling down in a lot of ways on the academy. So Lucci will have a little more rope than Oscar probably did in order to try and play those younger guys at some point because that's the whole reason you hired him was to move guys from the academy up. So there'll be more freedom. You'll see some of those more guys. It might affect the standings a little bit. We're all going to have to get used to that. That's the downside of play the kids, but that's you're going to see some of that over the course of the season. Maybe not opening day, but over the course of the season, the goal eventually is to get those guys all integrated and playing. But this is somewhat about, uh, the result of them having to open, I'm going to weir- use a weird analogy here, open the store long before they ever planned on having it open for for customers, meaning this. I think there probably along the way had been a plan of what we do when Oscar Perea finally leaves this club. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now that that happened way faster and earlier than I think anybody ever imagined, the the hunts have made a decision and, and and it's either they've been forced to make it or they've chosen to make it or maybe both of you know what let's just go ahead and do this now and then all of the byproducts and trickle down effects that hiring Lucci and all of the things that he will bring to the senior team will have all the way across the new USL team and the what the yeah. new US, USL team does to all of the academy teams well yeah uh, you know in late october early november uh, Lucci was talking about being the NTX North Texas coach when we talked about it. You know, that's what it was all set up to be. And then everyone, Oscar surprised everyone, although maybe it shouldn't have, but he surprises everyone and leaves, and all of a sudden everything changes. And it's been a trickle-down through all the academy. They've still been hiring academy coaches lately, shuffling all that around. Everything's changed across from top to bottom based on, as you say, this happening earlier than they expected. I think it, the plan was that Oscar would do a couple more years and then it might happen. You know, whenever Oscar was ready to maybe move to the higher position or something. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's accelerated a little bit, but this was always the goal. You know, being a selling team was always the goal. This Chris Richards kind of sailed to Byron. That was been the goal. You know, they've always wanted to wrap up the highest, most talented players and sell them on, not just transfer guys to their for MLS team. That's only half the goal because the profit is in the sale, not the MLS team for this for, F- for FC Dallas and the Hunts anyway. And there are other F- MLS teams that make money, but not this one. Dan, you come from a culture and experienced uh, growing up with the ideas of academies and all of this was just kind of second nature to you. And I, what I'm wondered, what I always wonder from somebody from your perspective is, do you do you view what Dallas or maybe even other MLS teams done but have done, but maybe Dallas specifically? Do you feel like it's on par with what you experienced as a kid, whether you were in a system yourself or your friends were in a system? This is now suddenly suddenly starting to look very similar to what you grew up within, or is it still quite a distance away from that? I'm just really happy that wasn't about Brexit. Um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> you know, wrong podcast. <laughs> wrong Gina Miller. Yeah. Um, so coming from Luton as a Luton Town fan, um, you know our, our club survived for 130 odd years on its academy. Um, it's always been a players brought up through the system, sold on for a few million, and that funds the club for another year. Um, you know, you can say the same about clubs like Southampton, Crew Alexandra. Um, it is kind of that is the reality of of the game in in the U, the whole UK, really. Um, so to see that kind of trending a little bit over here, it's it just seems natural progression as part of the curve of the US really coming into the global game. But do you get a sense that that Dallas in particular has achieved 
some sort of not parody in terms of quality, but similarity in terms of structure and execution as to what you it doesn't have to be Luton Town. It could be Manchester United or it could be whatever. It, just I'm just I'm just interested in knowing if from your perspective growing up in that type of structure, it has FC Dallas somehow officially achieved that level of of uh, execution. Uh, I'd say so. Um, you know, it has it definitely has the feel of a one club vibe, uh, which has kind of been crucial to the to the integration of those. Um, you know, you'll go to places like Chicago and they've definitely got Chicago Fire SC and Chicago Fire Academy three thousand miles away, um, <laughs> in terms of organization and, and everything. Um you know, the hunts have definitely they've always gone on about how they're inspired by things in England and mostly in 1966, like all of us. Um, but you can see they've kind of like done their homework and kind of organizationally set up in that similar manner. And it, you know, maybe this is it starting to pay off. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's the question I think everybody is trying to figure out. Is the hiring of Luchi Gonzalez as the coach, the person that succeeded um, Oscar Perea, is it, where does it fall on the spectrum of being like the most amazing display of self-confidence braggadocio uh, or is it absolute delusional fantasy that you can hire a guy that's never coached professional athletes once in his life and suddenly stick him in one of 28 jobs in the world? Uh, for me, it's belief. Uh, it's indicative that their absolute confidence that this is the way for them to go and to run a franchise. Because we all knew that it was 99% going to be an internal candidate. That's just the way they do business. So in the end, when it came down to, we believe, Marco Ferruzzi and Lucci Gonzalez, Lucci was the salesman. Lucci is the guy from the academy. Lucci is the guy that pitched back to them their own vision, their own idea, you know, repackaged it a little bit, spun it a little bit, mm -hmm. and served it back to them, and they bought it wholesale. So that's not to be disparaging to Luchi Gonzalez because the guy is a pretty strong tactician. You know, he's a student of the game. He's done the coursework. He's done the studying. He was everything he want except for the experience. But as he said in his press conference, you got to get experience sometime. So I'm about as happy with this hire as I can be given what I know about how the Hunts do business. And they certainly are. They really, really wanted to buy into this entire vertical integration of their club and Lucci's a hire that 100% is now the entire club top to bottom is integrated. Not just like we think it's kind of integrated and some guys come across. It's for sure integrated now. It's definitely uh, the Hunts going all in on their model. And they can say, hey, you know, give us your kid at eight years old and we'll turn him into a pro over time. They can also say, hey, ex-pro falling out of the game in your early 30s, come coach with us, we'll build you up too, and we'll make you a professional manager. Let's move on to trying to talk about the team itself. Sure. Uh, Buzz, you've spent all this uh, last several weeks, you were in, with the team in Arizona. Positionally, let's kind of run through the team uh, based on what you guys have seen so far this season, and we'll start with what I think has always been the the, the most gaping, gushing wound on this team, which is the number nine. They went out and they got a guy, we're just going to call the Cobra because I can't pronounce his name. Andresic. Yes, Andresic, um, who looks like a super nice guy and he looks yeah. like his, he's like... Great teammate. Great teammate. Yeah. Um, but he's slow and 
I'm I don't know if I've yet to see him have a really great finish or anything that just like yeah, opens no. my eyes. No, he's got a good like five yard burst, but then once at that you get in like actual running, he's not going to run by anybody. And no, his finishing has not been clinical. You know, I I keep hoping for right. him to be that guy. And so far, he's not. A couple right. goals he scored. So, is so just to of, play some measure on it, yeah. if I had to ask you to compare, like if you were in uh, FIFA, the video game, and you had to compare two players, sure. if I put Cobra next to a healthy Christian Coleman, which one would have the higher overall score? Uh, <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> really? Because Coleman does everything else better than Cobra does. But neither one of them were finish. Except finish, right. They both have the same problem from they, my point of view. They're both in like the, the well, mid-30s in the, finishing? The, ca- the caveat to that is that Coleman's been here for two years now, and, Coleman, and, and Cobra still just got here. So it has only been a couple of weeks. You know what they say, half a season to settle or whatever. Maybe in October he's got 10 and I look like an idiot. But right, right now he's not getting it done. He definitely uh, – I mean, I, I think they're fairly similar in some ways. You know, um, Andrasek – Good defensive hustle. He likes to play the ball out. Um, two things that really Coleman does. Uh, unfortunately, on the flip side, they're not really scoring a whole lot. Uh, we did see maybe one bit of promise in the opening scrimmage when they lost to San Antonio. Um, Andrasic had that kind of mid-long-range blast. I mean, if he, if he can turn that on. Is he at least a dick on the field? I would love to have a guy... With some attitude and to piss off defenders and upset goalkeepers, he has an intensity about him, but I'm, he's not really a jerk or anything. He'll probably throw some elbows around. Yeah, he's physical. He's physical. That's what you like. All right. Yeah, but we're probably not going to see a lot of him. I mean, for me, he's behind uh, Jesus Frey on the death chart. So uh, I mean, if you're going to get three strikers in the game, maybe. Yeah, but and I th- and I think that's important to note because the thing about and uh, the Andrasik is he comes with. A, taking an international slot. Yeah. And if you're not as good as Ferreira, and and we'll talk about the Baji uh, phenomena here in a second, yeah. um, and you're, third, you're the third option at that position, uh, you know, having yeah. to take up an international slot seems kind of wasteful. Not good. No, that was, the, you know, at the beginning of the season when no one knew how Baji was going to be, you, you were like, well, we better get somebody. We don't know how good Jesus is going to be. Well, now a month and a half later. All right. I think they both look pretty good, and they both look better than Cobra, so I'm ready to move on. But uh, maybe I'm a bit more ruthless than FC Dallas is because he is a nice guy. All right, so the like a week ago, uh, Matt Doyle at MLS Soccer uh, tweeted some crazy prediction about Baji scoring. Yeah. What did he did he, he say? He said 14? double figures, yeah, I think. I thought he – did he actually put a, like a hard number to it, or did he just remember. say double f- – I think he said like 15 or something. He might have said 15, maybe, but it was at least 10. Pending that he stays healthy and plays 2,000 minutes. That yeah, was that the was qualification. The yeah, that he would get 15, it. yeah. Um, and I uh, I tweeted back <laughs> some ridiculous, like, spitting up my guts gif, yeah. right? You, on the other hand, in the last few days, yeah. have really come around on Dominic Baji, Yeah. almost to the point that I think you kind of have a man crush on him. Oh, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> But he does look good. Do you have a soccer crush on him, Buzz? No, no, he's not a soccer crush. I mean, right. he's not Joe Maxmore. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> That's the weirdest one <laughs> ever. He's my favorite player of all time. Get off of me. <laughs> don't at me. Uh, Baji is looking great. I mean, I know you don't like to buy into body language, but I do. Oh, like I do. Training, no, I love to. The Other way people he carries just... himself, he looks confident. He looks like he's the guy. Everyone's looking to him score, and he's scoring. You know, he's converting at a pretty good rate. It's not... One goal out of 15, it's like one out of five. 
You know, everything looks like you'd want it to look. He's in the box. The balls are getting in the box. He's putting them away. You know, we'll see how it goes, but he's super confident and super happy, and he looks a completely different player than last year. You wouldn't recognize him. Now, again, you know, it's all well and good until you actually play people, so we'll see. But I'm about as confident in him right now as I've been in about five or six years with a number nine in Dallas. Maybe since Blas Perez scored 12 that year. That's about as good as I've felt about a guy till now. So you think they actually have somebody that may score yeah. double digits this oh, year? Oh, yeah. You no, know, I think I, I think he for sure hits 10. I think he's got a chance to break 15. I do. Um, because of the way the team that Lucci runs the teams in terms of formation, do we throw uh, people like Santiago Mascara and Michael Barrios as forward-type thinking, or yeah. do we still consider them to be midfielders? No, I consider them to be forwards. They're definitely old-school wingers. The way a 4-3-3 works, the width in the midfield is not from the wings. It's from the outside backs, you know, or even from the, the eights covering out wide. The, those guys, Santi and Barrios, both are going to stay very high. Unless they're playing sit-back, compressed, mid-block defense, then it compresses back to a 4-5-1. But I, I list them as strikers. And if you, if you want to get into goal scoring, I think Santi also gets 10. Bar- Barrios, I don't think, will get 10 this year. But Santi gets 10 and, and actually has a chance to go 10 and 10 depending on how good Baji does. Uh, Dan, how, what's kind of your general reaction to what you've seen of Lucci's new system and the differences between it and Perea so far? Uh, it's positive. Um, it seems to be giving the wingers more of a chance to kind of get involved. Um, you know, Oscar's system, quite often it was get to the byline, just smash across in and hope for the best, which, you know, with players like Coleman, Iruti, you know, was that was that really Oscar's plan of action, or was that just how the players ended up playing the game? I mean, if the players play the game the way you don't want them to as manager, it's your job to get them to play the right way. So it kind of could potentially fall in both. Right. I never did quite understand, because every time I, you know, especially I, I think back to the Castillo days where Fabian yeah. would outrun an entire defense and he'd essentially just run out of space Forest Gump it straight out of the stadium. Exactly, and yeah. you could you could watch Perea's body language tense up to the point where you thought he was just going to fracture into a billion pieces. And I and and then when he was gone, we continued to see that with other like Mascara has done that quite a bit. Barrios does, Barrios it. does it all the time. Yeah, Barrios does it all the time. Yeah. And so I, I think it is a legitimate question, which is. Were those players just not trained out of it? Was that actually Oscar's direction? Go as far north as you can and then take an immediate right or left? Or was that just the limitation of the players they have? To a degree, it's got to be the limitation. I mean, Mascara kind of had this the opposite trait almost. He'd cut inside, see no pass open, and from like 30 yards out, just balloon a ball into the, into the Budweiser beer garden. Uh, that's frustrating. How many of those do you have in your collection, by the way? How many of those Soccer balls, balls yeah. Mascara balloon balls. None? You never caught one? Not enough. Well, not from the press box, no. Oh, I thought you were in the beer garden sometimes. All right, so uh, the other question I have about those particular positions, and Mm -hmm. and if there are two locked positions on this team, it's absolutely Mascara and Barrios. Yeah, no question. Mm -hmm. What happens when either one of those guys goes down for injury, ouchies, tired, call-ups, whatever? Well, on the right, it's (laughs) Ferreira. Call-ups. Ferreira's was pretty much the only guy that played right wing other than Barrios. Really? The whole spring, yeah. How does he do that? How well does he do that? Oh, he's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, You know what? I take that back. They tried for a couple of games. They put Baggio over there. One, number one, to give Ferreira some time at the nine. 
but also to see if Baji could do something else. And he was fine. Yeah, I he, s- he was good. I know. I saw in one of the things on one of the games online they put Cobra outright. Yeah. And I watched Paxton play an absolutely perfect splitting ball between two defenders. Yeah. And he there was he was never getting to that. Well, that, ball. when they put Cobra out wide, it was just so Ferreira could play as the nine, just so they could give him just some to time. See. Yeah. But Baji, they actually wanted to see how it would work because that is a, an option. Like if Barrios is missing, it's certainly an option to put Ferreira as a nine and Baji on the wing, or vice. Uh, you know, the, the the first scenario probably is to leave Baji in the middle, and put Freya on the nine on the wing. Excuse me, but they wanted to try other things, and it worked. Freya, uh, Baji looks great as a wing. He's got tons of pace. He can play it just like Barrios can. Mm, it's a good cross too. All right, so let's dive into. You want to talk about the backup on the left? We almost skipped it there. Oh, because that's a hot, Chilean player. That's a hot button Chilean. Oh yes, yes. Good right? Lord. Well, I was. This would eventually have come up in the conversation about midfielders. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is the? It's the. Uh, maybe this is one of the weirdest side twists. Is we're going into the twenty nine season after all of the fan hoopla and excitement yeah. and anger at Oscar Perea for not playing him. Pablo Arangis has suddenly just kind of like drifted and fallen, settled yep. to the bottom of the cereal box. He's not going to play this year either, basically. I mean, he's a pure 10 on a team that doesn't use a 10. So why even keep him? Like, why not just, because I know that well, a couple weeks ago young. there were some rumors about them, you know, loaning him out or something. And Well, Lucci really likes him as the false wing. You know, he can do some good things, kind of like Mosquera, actually, the way he can cut inside. Mm-hmm. He can hit some really nice crosses from over there, you know, some swerving balls. Hits a really nice splitting pass. You know, there's some qualities over there. And if you want a late game, bring him on and chase it. You know, you can bring off an eight and bring him on as a 10. Like if you're trying to catch, steal a game, you know, so there's some qualities there you like. But for me, that's basically what he's going to be reduced to is a late game offensive sub because Luigi's system requires eights that play defense. And Arangis plays no defense. So it'd be like asking Mauro Diaz to play as an eight. It's not going to happen. So that's where we are. Dan, you, I think you are like me. The, you already can begin to see that if this team struggles to score or can, struggles to create opportunities, the noise level of why aren't you playing Arangis will accelerate and get loud quickly. Oh, it'll be deafening. Um, yeah, deafening. But um, to play him requires a, a complete change of formation. Well, you have to go with a six, eight, ten kind of midfield, and that's hard to do with high wings. So uh, it's, it's not an easy question. Nerd. I know. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> but that that will drive the fan base nuts. For I mean, people who don't maybe care enough about the tactics to understand why, they, all they know is they've got the next Mauro Diaz somewhere, you know, stored in this roster, and they don't understand why it's not been unleashed on the world. I feel like you're trying to imply that soccer fans are somehow fickle. <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of going uh, back to... Well, Buzz said about uh, Arangis playing on the left a little bit um, in in Chile. That's exactly where he quite often played. He he played both wings occasionally, kind of in that false wing role. That does bring a nice uh, a nice way to kind of cut the the winger inside early and bring someone else into the game. Whether that is um, you know even putting Paxton in at a ten and or having Hayes and push Acosta forward as the box to box eight. The way the way to get him on without revolutionizing your system in a four three three would be to invert your triangle in the midfield basically and play with two sixes like last year mm-hmm. and a 10 mm-hmm. I mean, you can do that and you know you don't even have to call it a four two three one you can still call it a four three three but uh it is it would take some time to figure that out it's not something you could just flip the switch i don't think and i i still don't think that Arangis is enough of a difference maker he's still too young he doesn't maybe you know i'm not talking about his strict age 
I'm just talking about the way he plays. He doesn't make his his great looking passes don't so far show up on the score sheet. And and I think this would be interesting to the average listener. And I'm again I'm going to ask you to do the FIFA comparison sure. menu structure. Okay. And I'm going to ask you to pull up two players and do a comparison and give me numbers. Pablo Arangis and Paxton Pomichol. Well, Paxton Pomichol will have higher numbers because Paxton Pomichol is a more complete two-way player than Arangis is. Arangis is a pure one-dimensional attacking player. So even if you gave uh, Pablo the edge as an attacking player and probably only in the nature of creative passing would he take, like, a, like the crazy flair creative passing would he take the nod. Because mm-hmm. on the straight dribble attacking, Paxton's better. Like running at guys, Paxton's better. And I, I see, I think that's a really interesting point to make because I do think that most people just assume that this young, uh, you know, uh, Chilean guy yeah. that was playing at a good club somewhere in South America gets bought and brought to Dallas. Well, he has to be better than one of these kids that we bring up through the academy system. Well, there's certain, you know, the upside might be more creative. And, you know, like if you if you look at Arangis, you think that guy could become amazing, you know, so that gets people excited. But, you know, like like his old coach, Oscar Pereja, you know, he doesn't go at people. Oscar never went at people either. You remember Oscar endless circles, right? right. And then yeah. all of a sudden he would go, boom, there was the pass. And he would find it. it would split. That's Arangis, too. So there's a place for that. Just not in Lucci's team. And Paxton is a more complete player. Maybe but- 10 years from now. You might go, Arangis is playing for Atletico Madrid and you guys were crazy. Well, I'm not talking about then. I'm talking about now. Right, right and, now, Pax is a better player. Right, and, and, and I think what I want everybody to get out of this particular episode is really beginning to understand that what you're going to see on Saturday and moving forward, at least in the near future, isn't what you've been watching for the last few years under Oscar Perea. No. In terms of structure and tactics and everything, that just because Lucci is the fruit from Oscar's tree... Uh, he's not necessarily the same coach tactically, and there are some really significant differences. And so when you had this David Ferreira, uh, Mauro Diaz type kind of running that number 10 position and doing all the splitting passes and the you know turn and hit a, lo- a direct ball over the back trying to release somebody uh, behind the defensive line, that doesn't exist necessarily in that yeah. same way now. And, and that's why a kid from Dallas – grown up through this system is actually in all honesty better for this team today than this you know it is right now yeah for superstar sure. kid from chile yeah you're gonna see orangis play just like diaz did in the first half of last year when and by oscar, the way that's really effing cool in my head yeah it'll be just like when oscar didn't know what to do with diaz last year when he wasn't really using a tent they kind of stuck him over on the wing and tried to figure out some way to, it's the same problem they have now paxton uh, or in this case the guy who may actually start on saturday different guy completely uh, is more of a two-way complete player that plays in the Lucci system. You need an eight. If you're going to play dual eights, you can't stick a guy in there. You know, in a 4-3-3, those two guys can't be tens. All right. Or you're just going to get killed in midfield. So let's set, let's set this chapter of the podcast today, which okay. is uh, now we're going to go into the midfielder part. And we've talked about it already, but just real as briefly as you can. Sure. Just – try to explain fundamentally the difference of what people will see in the middle part of the field. Okay, to use Lucci's terms, last year Oscar used what's called a double pivot, which is two holding midfielders. And which was what last year would have been. Rezo and Yuloa. Mm-hmm. So the team rotates around those two guys, and they kind of stay static. That's the double pivot, right? 
Lucci wants to play a single pivot, which is going to be just Carlos Grezzo sitting in the middle, and it's slightly deeper, but right there in the middle. And so in order to do that, the two guys that are playing with him are going to both be two-way box-to-box midfielders. They're going to sit right there in the middle. They will get to the sidelines, but that's not their main job. Their main job is to connect the bottom to the top. Now, last year, Oscar didn't have an eight. He really wanted one. They tried to get Kellen Acosta going, and he couldn't. So they were stuck with two sixes. So there was a lot of disconnect back to front and ended up playing a counterattack style over the top. So Lucci's not going to do that. Lucci's going to have two possession-style eights that are linking players. So the, they're going to they're gonna build from the back when they have possession, pass it forward, break the other team down, right? Mm-hmm. They'll, play a, they'll play a high press and try and get you to turn it over like your Man Cities and your Liverpools do, try and get you to turn it over in the final third and snap a goal really quick, okay? But then other than that, they're not going to sit deep and counter. This is not that kind of team. This is going to be a team that's going to sit deep Sometimes, and if they do win the ball, they're going to patiently build forward. This is we're back to the quote unquote value the ball from maybe about four years ago. You know, that the idea that keep the ball and if you lose it, get it back. Don't let the other team have it. And in the Texas Heat, that can actually work because if you hold the ball and make the other team chase it and, you, and let the ball do the running for you, you can wear them out. So it's actually a good tactic if you have the players that can do it. In the last two years, Oscar didn't have the players that could do it in midfield. And this year with Brian Acosta in and with, we hope, the progression of Paxton Pomichol, which he does. So, 4-3-3. Before we get to specific players, as I listen to that, Dan, I think, man, that sounds like a really complicated um, uh, a complicated system that takes a lot of time and a lot of gelling and isn't something that's necessarily going to be really pretty uh, at the beginning. Uh, it could certainly be. Um we're also going to have to see the progression of players, whether that's Paxton Pomacol growing as more of an 8 than a, a 10 or a wing. Uh, Brandon Savania coming into his game, even a player like Edwin Cirillo. Uh, Cirillo sorry. Uh, you know, what we have seen is the Hunts break their transfer record and bring in a legitimate class pure 8 in Brian uh, Acosta for yeah. that, for you know, whichever to grow alongside. That's always a, a promising thing. Even when you look at um, Ja'Cory Hayes, you know, he had a couple of quotes uh, was a, in our good friend um, Armin's uh, preview for Pro Soccer USA. He said, you know, this is year three. This Every year is a progression. This is year three. Now I've got to step it up some more. So let's talk about Ja'Cory because sure. I think the thing that is uh, May, you know, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Right. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of a starting 11 tomorrow. But I get the strong sense from you, based on what you've written in the Dallas Morning News and at Third Degree, um, that nobody should be surprised at 2.30 when the 11 comes out on the sheet of paper that Ja'Cory Hayes is starting over Paxton. Yeah, I think Ja'Cory's starting. Uh, you know, it, as you say, it could be Paxton. And it even could be Paxton and Ja'Cory. If, uh, if, if over the course of the week, Lucci had not decided when I talked to him last. It was still up in the air. So sometime before the end of the week, he was going to make a decision. But based on... From the RSL game, when Ja'Cory was great through the the final tune-up, when Ja'Cory played with Acosta, and then in the training I've watched this week, Ja'Cory's been with Acosta. So for me, Ja'Cory Hayes is starting with Brian Acosta. Now, Ja'Cory has put on some upper body weight because uh, last year he got pushed off the ball a little too much. At first, I thought he was too stiff. I was actually worried about him. But then in the last two scrimmages, he exploded. I don't know whether Lucci talked to him or something, but he's looked terrific in the last two games. Like, what specifically changed? Well, in the first couple of scrimmages, he was super static. He was staying, like, in the center channel. 
and playing like almost like a stay-at-home six, really. Mm-hmm. And then in the last two games, uh, particularly, and I think they, that one of the things uh, Lucci talked about at halftime of that RSL game, when the first half Paxton and his group was bad, Lucci told me that what it was was about the variety in their lines, like the spacing, to not be flat, to be like to have vertical spacing. So in the second half, Jacory embraced that, and he was he was mobile. He was he was covering almost the whole field side to side, and he was make, he was starting to make these foraging runs forward as he tries to learn how to do that because that's not really his game up until now. And to be honest, he looked great. Now some of that may be the confidence of having uh, Brian Acosta with you. I mean that can be a and the competition you're yeah, playing and the competition too. And if Lucci's telling him he's right in it, man, let's go. So Jacory has looked great. The, the added upper body muscle, which I thought for a while was limited him, turns out it's not. It actually has been really helpful. He's stronger holding guys off, stronger shielding the ball, which is what got him in trouble last year. So we're ho- hopefully well, this will continue forward if he is the guy, and I'm pretty sure he's the guy. If I was betting, I'd be betting on him with Acosta. Uh, hopefully he can do a good job in there. He was an attacking, more attacking kind of player in college. So yeah. it is something he can do, so we'll see. After so many years of this team bringing in uh, noted South American center midfielders and having to wait for them to uh, acclimatize and get used to the league, yeah, the fact that you're telling me that it's likely then game one, merely, and it's not like he's been here for months, he's only been here for a few weeks, Yeah, Brian Acosta will step in and start for this team, that is different. I'll be stunned if he's not. I mean, there's always a chance that they could go, Eh, let's just be careful. First game of MLS, let's play somebody else. But I'm pretty sure that it's going to be him because he's looked tremendous. And it only took him about three weeks. The first week I saw him, he had his head on a swivel trying to figure out what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. The next week I saw him, he had it figured out in terms of like where guys are supposed to be. Does he remind you of anybody that you know you could make a comparison to? Uh, sure. He reminds me of Oscar Pereja. Um, not the number 10 of his initial arrival, but the mid-career Eight Oscar Pereja, the guy that comes <laughs> the frustrated the whole, guy that huh? was con- <laughs> back. I just remember these days when you used to watch when Pereja got here and he started to play that position and the yeah. team was kind of iffy. He used to get so frustrated and Oscar easily made more. He made three times as many lateral and backwards passes in an MLS yes. game circa 1999 or whatever year it was right. than he ever did for just because he just didn't have well, the, the team outlets. is much better. The team around him is much better sure. than the teams around Oscar. Yeah. So there's a little bit of Oscar. There's a little bit of Chad Deering. If you want to go back that far, really, you know, Chad, Chad was often got played as a six, but he was an, an eight in his heart. You know, he wanted to get forward. He wanted to shoot. And Brian Acosta is probably the best outside shooter on the team right now. He can rip it from about 30 yards out. He can play a really nice splitting pass. The, the, the most exciting attribute is actually his ability to read the game when it turns. The ability, the instincts to know when to pinch and when to like to make one defensive step that makes the other team have to stop and cycle back mm. and not catch you on the break. So those things you can't teach, really. Those are pretty hard to get. They have to be instinctive, and he has that. So for me, like right now, Grezzo, of course, has been here. We know what he is. The guy's a rock. So Acosta already, to me, looks completely integrated, and I think he'll start opening day. I'll be stunned if he doesn't. Yeah, one of the things I'm most excited about is that for a long time I've always dreamt of this team having a holding midfielder so good he could do the job by himself. Yeah. And 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 I've always wondered, I've well, not just wondered, I've always thought Grezzo really was capable of that and that Oscar was being somewhat overly defensive in the way that he was lining things up by sticking somebody like Victor next to him. Yeah. 
or the times that he was asking Grezo to do something that's not his game, which is go forward. It's kind of like Conte in Chelsea <laughs> a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's what we're getting this year, right? We're yeah. going to get Grezo by himself on the wall. Yeah, no, he looks great. And it's a, it's a deeper position than uh, Oscar had because Oscar had two that was a little higher. You're going to see him drop back almost between the center backs mm-hmm. quite a bit. But it really has freed him up, not having a guy next to him. It's sort of opened up the f- space around him. You know, he doesn't have to get all the way touchline to touchline, but he's certainly capable of that. Basically, he just controls the middle third of the field and, and is the base upon which everything else is built. And he looks really good. So in front of him, uh, we talked about Acosta. Uh, we've, we haven't really talked about Paxton other than kind of in relation to other players. Yeah. If there's a kid or a person or anything that the fan base and the media has spent a lot of time focusing on, yeah. um, it, if he doesn't end up starting right out of the box, it, is there a reason to be disappointed or, or worried about that? I mean, you'd be disappointed just because the team's made this huge effort to make him the face of the organization and, you know, people outside of the club have made him the face of this uh, youth movement slash play your kids movement, whether or not that's actually a reality. Um, yeah, we really should talk about that. Yeah. With, yeah, with all the build up though, if if he's not playing, it's that whole thing's kind of fallen flat on its face. But is that but is that a byproduct of Paxton not picking up his game enough, or Jacory Hayes or somebody else just being a little older, a little more mature? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's the latter. Paxton has played well. I I, I would not remotely say he's played poorly. Yeah, but you're still talking about a relatively young guy, and Jacory is just a little bit more safe. A little bit more experienced, you know. I, I fully think that there is a time coming when this team will belong to Paxton, where he's going to make a ten-plus-year run as the centerpiece of this team. It's well, just not probably, today. If he's that good, he'll probably get moved. He'll probably go to Europe before. Well, no, because I don't think by. I don't think he's the guy. Uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging of Paxton. I don't think that he's good enough that someone's going to pay ten million dollars for him. I think Paxton is good enough to be your best MLS player for a decade. I don't think he's good enough to be, ooh, we're going to go get that guy and build Chelsea around him. Right. But in, in fairness to him, he's still so young. He there is, is There's oh, yeah. a potential growth spurt. I don't mean physical. I mean in yeah. terms of his game, that's potential to happen once he gets a full year, two, yeah. or even three of MLS under his belt. Well, yeah, the key for him is to, is to figure out how to control the game. Right. You know, he's playing in a position where uh, up until now, he's just played in the games at the MLS level. He gets in any place. But he's playing in a position where he has to be the guy, mm-hmm. control the timing, control the speed, control the flow of the game, and dictate the game. And until he figures that out, it's hard to build a team around him. I'm not saying it won't happen because I think it will happen within the next year or two. I think he'll be the guy. It's just He's just not the guy today. And just real quickly in terms of depth, and this is really where we, you, you think about the play your kids or the youth movement really starts yes. to – this is where that's happening, right? Yes. It's it's yes. taking out the uh, um, we got rid of Lamar's eight hundred thousand dollar contract. Taking out Lamar, taking out whatever the random uh, Latin American holding mid of the month was. I can't remember their names anymore. Yeah, I mean they're list literally the the list of South American center midfielders that were all thirty four and older that this team has picked up and never used over the last four or five years, I, I, I can't. So that's really where the, the, the change in terms of yeah. uh, using your, your youth and your academy with yes. Thomas Roberts and et cetera. Edwin Cirillo, yeah. I actually Cervania, wrote a thing today yeah. about both Roberts and Cirillo, how 
um, that's been a revelation for me over the course of this spring is how good, and they're the couple of the bottom guys on the whole roster, how good they are relatively speaking. I mean, 10 years ago, the bottom of the roster were guys that were never going to play. They were barely good enough to be practice players. Now the bottom two guys on the roster are both legitimately MLS level players. 10 years ago, they would be starting from day one, both those guys. And now the team's deep enough that they won't, but you know, that's how good the depth is. And those guys are going to play because Cervania, Paxson, and Frey are all going to miss for the U-20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Acosta is probably going to go to the Gold Cup, right? And Carlos Gressel is probably going to get called up for Ecuador for um, Copa America. I mean, he, maybe. He wants to be, certainly. But Thomas Roberts is 17? 17. And, and you think he's going to get legitimate, hard MLS minutes this year? Uh, I think he will, unless he gets sold to Bayern Munich when he turns 18, which I think is actually what's going to happen. When is his birthday? I think it's, I think I'm saying this without looking. I think it's in May. So if he's going to play in MLS, I think there's actually a pretty good chance that Thomas Roberts will never play for FC Dallas. They're just waiting for his birthday. They're waiting for his birthday to do what Chris Richards did, loan him to uh, Byron with with an option to buy. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, between now and then, if some other guys are missing for the U20 World Cup, Thomas Roberts is perfectly capable of playing in an MLS game. Now, he's going to make mistakes. There's no question he's going to make some mistakes. He'll turn the ball over in bad spots because like like Arangis, he's a 10. I mean, he kind of – they kind of stick him in there in an 8, and he's trying to learn how to be an 8. If he's like, going to get MLS minutes, it's going to yeah. have to happen fast because his birthday when he turns 18 and then theoretically could be sold to Bayern Munich yeah. May 11th. Yeah, see, now he and Richards were taken to Bayern by the same scout whose specialty is finding guys and getting them to German clubs. Is Thomas he, Roberts better than Paxton? Yes. He's better than almost anybody, probably anybody that's ever come out of the academy. Now, this guy like, took Blaine Ferry over to Germany, too. That's what this guy does. And so the reason he went to— Who's this guy? I don't know his name. He's a scout here. He doesn't work for Klaus? Is his name Klaus? I don't know what his name is, to be honest with you. Adolf? I just know that he's Hans. the one that took Richards and, and, uh, and Roberts to Byron last time. And so that's the thing, is that whenever he turns 18— there's going to be a loan deal probably with a buy just like Richard. So it, in my if head, Roberts never plays for FC Dallas, it won't shock me. There's a in my head. There's a guy wearing later hose and just walking around. Yeah. FC Dallas. Oh no, he's actually outside the door. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this guy does: is finds young Americans and gets them to German teams. That's but he's not. Thing. So he's not necessarily a Bayern Munich scout. No, 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 he's an independent, like guy. independent dude. Yeah, he's taken lots of guys to various teams. So when you say he's the best, when you when you say Thomas Roberts is the best to come out of the system, you're talking yeah. about Weston McKenney included. Yeah, Thomas Roberts is the best pure talent to come out of the academy. Now, as always, that doesn't mean that he will end up being the best player because there's luck, there's oh, sure internal things with the player, there's the system he goes to. But he's the best pure talent that's come out of the mm. FC Dallas Academy. We need to start a countdown clock clock for May 11th. So is his yeah. upside anywhere near Cristiano Ronaldo's? <laughs> that's an internal joke. I'm not getting into that. <laughs> uh, uh, I think his is the is he the Arkansas Messi? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's he's not Messi. He might be the, the Arkansas. He Messi. might be the Arkansas Messi. Yeah, I mean, he's he's uh. He's not as a vertical a runner as Messi is. His bit is more of that um, floating play, and then all of a sudden there's the gap, and he nails that splitting he, pass. You didn't need to make a Messi you know. comparison. I, I, the I funny thing joking. is, when you when you watch him play, you can easily be fooled into thinking he's actually terrible. I remember seeing him play for the first time when he was 15, and he looked like Bambi on ice. Maybe he just had a growth spurt. 
Yeah. And you watch him so uncoordinated, but then he just plays this inch perfect ball and then he's in space to receive the, a one two and you're like Wow, that, that, that wasn't an yeah. accident. And he's almost like I think he's about six one now. And if you watch him body style wise, yeah, I'm convinced. Don't get excited. I'm 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 convinced he's grown about a foot. Yeah. in the short period of time I've even been he's aware about of six one. So yeah. body style and the way he moves is like and don't go crazy is like Johan Cruyff. That's what he looks like when he plays. Now, yeah, right. Listen, he's not. He's eight, he's an eighteen year old American. Okay, let's not get right. carried away. I'm just saying that like and we'll never him see play, him play for the team. He's an American. Don't get excited. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, that's stylistically the way he plays. <laughs> he's so, Welsh. Don't get excited. Yeah. No, I just, what I, I mean like, is, like, he's not Barcelona buying Messi when he's 12. Right. No, I'm not I, saying I, that. I'm I, just I saying, you know, pure talent, he's the best player to come out of the academy, in my opinion. Yeah, but what I've learned now is is that uh, it's possible in the next few weeks we may get to see him play a few minutes, get really, really excited about yeah. him, and then they're going to sell him to Bayern Munich, Bayern, yeah. and then you know exactly what's going to happen. That's well, so FC. Dude. Look, that the way be... this academy is going to work is the very best one-two players, Weston McKinney, Chris Richards, Thomas Roberts, are never going to play for FC Dallas. The whole point is uh, by signing them and selling them is that you're, at least you're going to get something out of them. The players that you really want to keep, the ones you should get excited about as an FC Dallas fan, are players two, three, and four. Evan Sorello, Paxton Pomacol, Brandon Cervania, those guys. Get excited. They're going to play for MLS teams. Promise Roberts is never going to play for FC Dallas. And that's hard to market. All right, so let's go to the back line because I, one of the things that I don't think gets discussed enough is that what really largely powered the successful parts of 2017 and 2018 was – Good backline defenses, yeah, which uh, starts with Matt Hedges, um, and and last year's was slightly different than the years before, but I think we all agree that last year's starting back four was some of the best defending we had seen this club do in quite a long time, yeah, until late in the season when it wasn't. Right at the very end, it wasn't, and part of that was um, Pedroso getting hurt, mm-hmm. honestly, and then just guys wearing down a little bit. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they brought in Breston for me was to be able to give. Ziegler and Matt Hedges five or six games off each. Is Bresson a good enough Brazilian he is deserving of the single name Well, category? just by being a Brazilian professional, you get a single name. But, yeah, he's pretty good. And he doesn't speak a word of English, so he definitely deserves a single name. Okay. <laughs> Not even close? Does Pedroso speak English? Yeah, yeah. perfect. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, uh, Bresson doesn't. His girlfriend does. And, um, you well, know, he's he's he playing. also has... Well, I mean, <laughs> She hot. She can run down the touchline and translate. Uh, you know, he's got a Jack Russell Terrier that the team had to fly in, so he's definitely deserving. Who, Bresson did? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Say, wait, hold on. You got your that dog. was part of his contract was you got to bring my dog? I mean, they brought his dog. I was there at the airport. Really? Yeah. Don't they? Don't dogs have to go through like a quarantine yeah. to get in the country? Apparently not if you fly the right airlines. Yeah, apparently not. Not if you know the Hunt brothers. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> No, they had to fly him through like three different cities to make the uh, the pet transfer work. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, do you know the name of the dog? It's a dog. I don't know. No, I just want Bress. I want Bresson's Jack Russell Terrier that got flown to f- Dallas, Texas, from wherever Brazil <laughs> to have a really funny name. We'll find out tomorrow, and we'll text into the show. Okay. All right. I want to know what Bresson's dog's name is. Yeah. And then we should start a new supporters group named that. <laughs> so anyway, the idea is obviously that he's going to give each Back of those guys some time off. Yeah, the soccer podcast, right? So, And hopefully within next year when Reto's 35, 
hopefully by then, Preston will be starting. Uh, Pedroso's coming off injury. Hollingshead has been playing in his stead. Yep. You've been, uh, I think my sense about you and what you've written is, is that you, it's the double-edged sword. Yes. Yeah. I mean, good enough. Obviously the defensive instincts are terrible. You know, he's for sure the defensive weak link, but he provides so much going forward. I mean, in the last tune-up scrimmage, he scored twice from left back. I mean, so he's going to give you a ton going yeah, forward. Reggie and whoever's playing on that left have to play very, very high. Yeah, and in a 4-3-3, you have to be up there, and not just up there, like run up there and run back. You have to go up there and play possession, mm-hmm. be able to go to the end and cross and drive into the middle and pass into the middle. So that's something Reggie's working on. Ryan already knows how to do that. So Ryan for the going forward part, is already good to go, and that's why he's gotten the job clearly. Otherwise, Pedroso would be playing. Pedroso's not 100%, but he's good enough that he'd be playing, except that Ryan's doing a really good job. So if Ryan can hold him off, that may be one of the best battles we see all year. I mean, the other side, it's Reggie or nothing. Unless Pedroso, once Pedroso starts again, then Ryan can play on the right from when Reggie's gone, so you don't have to play John Nelson, who, while we love John Nelson, you know, you don't want to have to play him yet if you can help it. Right. So... It's in right back's probably the one position where you're concerned past your 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 well, the first of, guy. At the end of last season, I actually thought Brian Reynolds was ready in the sense of like Reggie was ready a year ago. Like he's never played, but if we've got to go with him, okay, you know, I can, I'll, I'll he'll learn. But Nelson's ahead of him actually, even despite Nelson being left footed mm-hmm. and a natural left back, he's actually now ahead of Brian Reynolds at right back. And then in goal, we have uh, new talkative yippy-yappy yeah. Jesse. You should see it. It's, re- it's crazy. I'll believe it when I, I, I see I was, it. I double-take, like, who is yelling at his defense? And it, yeah, it's crazy vocal. Tim Howard yelling or? Yeah, like cons- constant, t- like Jimmy Maurer yelling. Have you heard Jimmy Maurer? He yeah. never stops talking. It's right. like that. Really? Yeah, he just goes continuously now. It's, it's a complete 180 because he used to never say anything. What about the uh, ball distribution and the soccer smarts? Uh, he's much more vocal than he was. <laughs> uh, didn't answer my question. I know. But. I was trying not to. Uh, it's, listen, he's more I mean, vocal in the sense of, play the ball out. I can't. <laughs> listen, uh, his weakness is his feet. It's always been his feet. And it's right. his decision-making when passing. Now, the problem, of course, is that Lucci's system requires good feet and good passing from your keeper. They almost play as like an extra center Over, back. Okay, I'm going to ask the question. Over and under of goals given up this season – that come from a Jesse Gonzalez brain fart. How many was it last year? Four or five? Was it even that many? Yeah, just against San Jose alone. Oh, good point. Yeah. Uh, well, that's going to be a question because learning how to play out of the back in this system is going to be a little bit problematic because Reto's the best passer out of the back. Hedges is okay. He's not great. Pedroso's decent. Ryan's pretty good. Reggie's still learning how to pass out of the back, right? So that whole build situation is going to be a little precarious at the beginning of the season. And obviously that's a big question, how many goals they give up because Jesse or somebody else does something dumb back there is going to determine a big factor in how the start of the season starts. Yeah, and I I know that in the little bits and pieces that I watched uh, from Tulsa, I saw uh, three or four different times where that, situation happen where you know jesse to a center back even a grezo who or whoever was playing holding mid stepping in between the two center backs and just bad communication and just you know mucking it up one caveat caveat to that is that you know fighting against a pima's pressing you like that at that point of the spring they had only worked on what you would call the short passing sort of build out version 
and they hadn't gotten to the part where there's what's the next layer that I need to look for beyond just the guy right there. Right. So hopefully that's gotten better and hopefully it gets better. That for sure is an area of concern and is for sure a work in progress. But is Maurer any better at that? Much better. Ah, okay. There's going to be, it seems like there could be a real fluidity to that position. You know, Oscar gave Jesse so much rope. Uh, You know, it was such a long leash and, you know, Lucci's not really like that. He's going to be a, I want who's going to play best now and whether that's playing out from the back or making decisions or pure reaction saves. It might depend too on who you're playing. Like if you're playing a team that doesn't high press, then it's not as big a deal, right? So mm-hmm. like if the team's not high pressing, then you can go with Jesse easy. If it's a high press team, it might be a problem. But the, 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 the issue, of course, is that Jesse is such an amazing shot stopper and his lateral quickness is just unparalleled in MLS. His upside is so big. You know, is it worth how bad his passing is? That's what we're going to find out. And as he says, that we may see some flexibility there with Maurer because Maurer's perfectly capable of being – they were both top 10 in MLS goals against last right. season, so they're both legitimate starters. So before we get into the off-the-field stuff and wrap uh, this particular podcast up, is is there any chance that this new Brazilian technical director and all of – and um, Feruzzi and the new structure sure. are out actively shopping – internationally for inbound players yes yeah oh yeah 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 what do you think they're looking for i don't know that's a good question but my my impression from talking to some people mostly sort of off the record so i can't specifically say what they said but my vague impression is that the new guy his job essentially is incoming and outgoing sales essentially like both bringing guys in and selling their guys on this is the guy from gremio the guy from gremio He's uh-huh. an ex-traffic guy, right? So agent sort of your background, right? Mm-hmm. So my impression is his job is to facilitate sales and buys. And that Marco is essentially in charge of domestic and prepping the team day-to-day, making sure the roster is full, and that kind of thing. So right this minute, I think they're pretty happy, but I know for sure there already has been things said about summer windows, which is different than it's been in years. I mean – for somebody to mention the word summer window to me in spring training is very different than what's happened in the last decade around here. And we've talked about how we thought Grezzo was leaving for since the middle of last season, you know, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe, maybe it's something else. I mean, I, I, I don't know at this point cause we don't know what's bad or good yet about this team. Yeah. But I guess that's kind of my question, which is, do they have a plan in place to handle the Jan- the July summer transfer window, which for the last two or three years has been a real uh, point of contention, a-, a wedge in the locker room, uh, created all sorts of drama for this team. Yeah, that ended up in you know for many people feeling like it 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 that was the thing that and you know the byproducts that came out of that window. Yeah. Um, were the things that ended up ruining those seasons. Well, you remember Lucci's press conference? Well, it was the very first thing he said is that we're a team that develops people. We develop players and sell them, whether it's our domestic players or whether it's somebody we bought, we develop and sell. Like the Mauro Diaz is just as valid a model for them as uh, Chris Richards is. So, I mean, their their whole thing now is we're going to sell guys and make money. And so, for, so whether that happens in the winter or it happens, happens in the middle the summer, of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It. It's like for the, for the words – Summer window to have been raised in a topic discussion mm-hmm. in the spring, that's, that's never happened before from a coach 
or from front office people to me. When you say it's been raised, raised in what context? Uh, just sort of in the context of the amount of internationals they have already, uh -huh. you know, and roster moves up and down to North Texas and that kind of thing, and the idea that something was going to change in the summer. You know, come summer and winter, we might have to blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Without getting into any, they didn't get into any specifics other than a general discussion about how they have nine international slots available, you know, and they already have 10 guys. So, you know, it, it, something's got to give. And for, the, for there to be both a technical director and a head of operations implies that there's more going on than just, I'm supposed to fill our roster. Does it not? And that's kind of my vague impression that I've gotten from various people is that the new guy, Who's, I apologize, I don't know his name off the top of my head yet, which is Andre. Andre something. So I met him once. The giant. Yeah. He's a giant in, the, in your hearts. So I, I just feel like his ball game, his purpose is to facilitate incoming and outgoing moves internationally. Dan, do you think that it's, it's possible that we could dream that FC Dallas could become known globally as the team who most successfully executes the farewell video? No. That's so cringeworthy. Well, I'm just should, thinking if what they need to if, do if, is if get the point the is to if, put an FC Dallas baseball cap on and look down. <laughs> <laughs> I just was thinking about all the farewell videos last year, and if if the selling players is going to be the new thing, yeah. that should be like the club bit, which is every time a player, whether it's somebody that played or like a, a Chris Richards or not, yeah, they they do you know some sort of slow mo emotional music farewell video well they're trying to build a reputation as facilitator career facilitators whether it be academy guys don't ruin my buzz, buzz or young south americans sorry that's what they want to be is they want to be a club of snow for you. if you come here we're going to get you to a higher level that's what they want to be but being known for doing good farewell videos is way funnier true but it's not possible oh okay <laughs> all right speaking of off the field stuff yeah uh dan the other day, I was, you could have blown me over with a feather or whiskey breath with the video they tweeted that featured actual supporter group people talking about the club in a, in a marketing piece that they put up online. And Tipos. And which made me wonder has there been, uh, you know, you're kind of our de facto tie to the supporter groups. Has there been, uh, improvements in, and uh, bridges built between the supporters groups in the front office, or is that just a bunch of hooey? Um, I think we have a season to to see whether that's real or not. Um, I mean, a lot of people saw the Dallas Beer Guardians did their open letter, which kind of slammed a lot of different departments in the club. And uh, oh yeah, the open letter. We never really did talk about the open no. letter. Did anything ever come out of the open letter? Yeah, there was a. They had a meeting with uh, Jimmy Smith. For those who are not familiar, the COO and CFO of FC Dallas, or the the guy that actually runs the show. Um, Money wise, yeah, mm -hmm. he's a good dude too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, he's always out. Of, he's out of practices. He's you know, he's he's definitely has a lot of face time with the players. Uh, and now the supporters, he's attending uh, the monthly supporter groups meetings. Um, I'm, I haven't seen minutes from those yet uh, from this month, but it all sounded very positive. Uh, a lot more communication in terms of um, MLS's new uh, supporter matrix for like how they hand out ban stadium bands and things like that. Um, in terms of uh, between the two supporters groups, now uh, Lone Star Legion have uh, called it a day. Uh, just left with El Matador and 
Oh, uh, Lone DBG. Star Legion doesn't exist anymore. They no longer exist. Wait, no. what happens to my trombone guy? Uh, they've been with uh, DB. They've been splitting time with DBG and EM okay. all season anyway. So because all this goes to shit if the trombone guy goes. Which away. one is two? Well, I don't care. I just the trombone. Jeff or Charlie. Is, well, Jeff or Charlie are two of my favorite people. I don't actually know in real life, and I love them dearly. Because you should go to a tail game. Meet him. Okay, I, will. Some well, I think I've met them before. I just don't know them other than just kind of the cursory meeting them in a parking lot one day on a hot uh, okay. day. Um, I just enjoy their antics and their tequila song. musicianship during the, during the uh, during the games. I'm glad you pronounced you uh, really enunciated the p in that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they've called it a day. Uh, the two supporters groups um, both had a bit of a change in uh, their organization and they're working together. Um, They've been preparing the very first uh, joint TIFO between the uh, the groups, which should be really cool to see tomorrow, providing the rain holds off. Oh, yeah, that's right. This team has the worst luck with the weather. Yeah. You see, that, you see that funny bit in the Lucci's mic'd up video where he actually talked about that? No. Uh-uh. He actually talked about last season. Oh, like, yeah. The he, delays like, and yeah, now. the delays and how mental. I yeah. did see that. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy that that's like a... It happens so many times that like it's a whole thing they had to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <Rain> delay champs. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, you know, it's one of those Rondos. things that almost consistently happens to these guys. <laughs> Big weekends with major games coming up, and then the weather just absolutely uh, blocks them from success. And you know, they've only had a couple of sellouts at Toyota Stadium for yeah. openers, and it's unlikely they'll have another one tomorrow or Saturday, uh, just based on the fact that it's likely it's going to be raining. Well, do you remember a couple of years ago they sold out against uh, Sporting Kansas City, and then the weather got could, bad just before. Yeah, there was a, a Santander Bank uh, corporate oh, event, so yes. they brought up like brought out like nine thousand tickets, and then they canceled their event on the day because it looked like there was a chance of rain, and there was about a thousand people in the stadium. Yeah, but it was a sellout. Uh, we never did because it happened in between the last episode of this and today. We haven't gotten a chance to discuss the new secondary kit, the reunion kit. Reused kit. <laughs> I think the, the thing that I took away from every, and this isn't specific to Dallas, this goes across uh, MLS in general, is that the clubs have really lost a lot of control and say into the design of their kits in the last year, haven't they? Well, I asked around a little bit, and apparently it's not a league mandate. It's just Adidas pushback and killing like every idea everybody has. And like DC submitting like five concepts that all got rejected, and so they just gave up and said, fuck it, give us a white one. Can I say that? Well, podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's just for some reason. Adidas seems to want to put everybody in white, which I don't understand at all because it makes every game look the same and boring. And similar to that, when I spoke to Dan Hunt at the uh, the Reunion Tower event for unveiling it, yeah, he said much the same. They're trying to push for for white kits, and it kind of makes it harder to to integrate like the parts of the city they want to. And okay, some diagonal lines and a and a patch kind of had to make do. I mean, as a solid white shirt goes. I mean, it's not bad. It's the best of the plain white shirts. Yeah, I mean, it's got some nice trim highlights, and the fabric's got at least some kind of pattern yeah, in it. You know, I mean, it's... I th- but the bummer part of it for me is, you know, the Tech Shram story. That Tech Shram decided yes. years ago the Cowboys would wear white at home so that you could see all the different colors come into Texas Stadium. And now what we're going to get is the deconstructed Texas flag on FC Dallas and an all-white thing 
on whoever comes into town, with the exception yeah. of Houston, it's, Seattle, and a couple of others. It's the same mistake the NHL made a few years ago when they switched from yeah. white at home to colors on the road so every game looked different. Now it's color at home and white on the road. Every game looks the same. Same things on MLS. You're going to have color at home. White team's going to be road team's going to be white, and it's going to be boring. Every game's going to look the same. Yeah, who are we playing today? I have no idea. They're in white. The white team. The white team. I was convinced wow. at some point somebody was going to do a white privilege joke about all this, but oh, there is. Okay. I think we're past oh, that. There is. Oh, I thought that's what you were going for. No, no, I was going to say somebody was. I thought oh. maybe somebody actually did. No. Um, and then let's talk about the media stuff. We found out that the the uh, Texas Twenty One deal is back. Um, yeah. I, the the other day, you got a tweet from uh, somebody out in El Paso. Yeah. And it was the most 2019 tweet yeah. I've ever read, which was he, you were trying to suggest that everybody in El Paso should call a local station yeah. and get a local TV station to broadcast the games. Yeah. And he was like, no, I want to watch the games on ESPN+. I Plus. Yeah. I want to stream it. <laughs> now, I'm not judging whether or not that's a good or bad decision. I'm marveling at the fact that somebody, there are people out there who actually would prefer to stream their video than watch it over the air for free. Yeah. That just blows my mind. Yeah. But to each their Well, own. the excitement of that deal is the amount of uh, households that you get your product in front of. You know, sure. You're trying to build a product. It's exciting. I, I, yeah. The idea that FC Dallas games are showing up in Tyler yeah. or Lubbock or Amarillo or where, you know, whatever tiny, small Texas town they're, they're playing them yeah. on local stations is super cool. You want to hear a funny story? As I've actually heard that, that they actually had College Station in El Paso lined up and MLS nixed it out of market protection, which I think... Uh, means USL market protection of El Paso locomotive and strangely enough, College Station being San Antonio. Why, why that would be the case, I have no idea. Since Austin really? Is closer, yeah, that's just what I've heard. Can't 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 source that, but I just uh, rumor around the uh, water they, cooler huh. today. That's crazy. Yeah. Hey, let's not grow our product. Well, you know, market air markets matter, and if you're a partner with USL, mm. you know. Well, one of the things I wondered. Um, about the network, are there any other teams doing that in their areas? Is is Dallas the only team that has a network of stations broadcasting their games? I mean, I can't tell you that that's for sure the case, but I don't, I can't think of anybody else that does that. I think SKC has uh, some deals elsewhere in Kansas because that would make sense because there's just nothing really super close. Like you could see why California may not let. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe LA, one of the LA teams down to San Diego or something, but maybe even then no, because they want to protect San Diego. Or yeah, I don't else. know. Fascinating. That, that's way above the pay grade of anybody I have direct access to. This is what you hear. Yeah. You know? Okay, so we're at that part of the, the time of the podcast where we all get to make predictions. Uh-oh. Predictions. So, um, Dan, I'm going to let you go first. Where does FC Dallas end up this season in terms of position? Uh, I've got them at fourth in the West. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, very positive. And then how does their season end? The knockout round, obviously. The f opening round. Yeah. 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 Okay. Tough, tough night. Buzz? Uh, I actually had them at fifth. As I said before, fourth is sixth in the West, fighting for that spot, last, last playoffs. I have them more as fifth. I think between the passing in the back is going to cost us some goals, and not that I don't like Lucci, but he's going to make some mistakes. You know, they're going to drop some points. I think towards the end of the season, they're going to get it going, though, and they'll actually be pretty hot going into the playoffs. I think they'll be better. I think they'll be much better at the end of the season than at the start of the season. That was a lot more analytic than my 
I think, <laughs> out of the blue. Just tried to back up my thoughts. So actually, I think she. We like a little salt. The, we like a little pepper here on the podcast. And I can't yeah. say whether they're going to get out of the first round or not until I see who they're playing. It's impossible to say. But uh, I think they're they're a team that I think when they get it all going, it'll be pretty fun to watch. And I think they're capable of winning some playoff a playoff game or two. The new playoff format's going to make it really interesting too. Yeah, single not single game knockout, right? Right. Yeah. Actual so. real home advantage. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a a pretty vast improvement. Getting a, getting an opening game home advantage will be a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, every year I walk into a new season and I do it repeatedly. I've done it now for <clears throat> 20 some odd years. I ignore the truths that I know to be in my head, the, the evidence and facts that I've seen transpire from season to season, not just with this team, but just within this league. But what I do is I do one of two things. I go purely on gut. I go, you know, I just, I think this team's going to win MLS Cup because I really believe, or the other thing is, is I start playing out narratives and storylines in my head that I think make sense as to how things would happen. Um, I'm not doing that this year. I'm going by things that I, I'm, I'm committing myself to making my prediction based on what I know to be true. And if I, if, if, if you came to me and said, hey, one MLS team is going to hire a coach that has no professional experience and he's going to be playing a roster filled with a bunch of kids in it, when you say just, that way, just on the surface, yeah. what you know to be true is, you know what it sounds a lot like to me? It sounds a lot like the Chicago Fire of a couple years ago. Sure. When Panovich started at, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, super intelligent, super intriguing, high upside coach, lots of kind of weird roster situations, not as much of a youth situation, but still kind of an untested guy coming in, and they struggled a lot. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing because it's possible that, you know, to regrow this deal into something that we all want it to become, it may have to kind of like scorched earth and burn to the ground and regrow. And that may be what this season is. I, I think they'll be, they're not going to be awful, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs. I'm going to say they come in seventh. I think this year is, that is the playoffs. I mean, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> they added a team, yeah. That's right. I think this year is as wide open as for possibilities as any we've ever seen. This team could come together and be good, or it could just be an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah, I just think there's last. so much of a learning curve in terms of I know. the day in and day out stuff of, you know, what do you how do you handle the summer heat? How do you handle the transfer window? How right. do you handle professional adult players making hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. when they suddenly fall out of form, right? Yeah. How how who's going to be the person that m- navigates this team through that? Lucci, Peter Lucine. Okay. The other, side of the, the other side of that coin, I totally agree with you that that's that absolutely the way. The I don't want I say, it to be this way, by the that's way. That's why I say it could be a dumpster fire. The other side of that coin is this team right now is super, super positive internally. They're all super hyped. They think it's going to be a great season. They're all really excited. So they all think they're going to play great, stylistic, fun soccer. But So if that happens, but there's not many teams that start a team that don't think that. I know. I'm just saying. Everybody's got a champion Super Bowl team at the beginning of the season. Well, it's a young man's game. I'm just saying that I've never felt so chaotic about the range of where FC Dallas could finish before my. You could say that about the whole league, really. Like people are starting to say Minnesota United are now challengers because just because of Ozzy Alonso or. San Jose suddenly are going to creep Oof. up because of the new coach. Or... No, because the difference is FC Dallas has a whole foundation of players. They only changed uh, one player in the starting lineup, mm. right? Other than Pedroso being hurt, there's only one player changed in the starting lineup mm-hmm. right now yeah. from, last, from last year. Yeah. 
you know, and that's Brian Acosta, who's awesome. So it's like I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I, I, this to me, and this is where the proof is in the pudding. Is you, you know, you put a lot of value in what a coach does for a team. I mean, yeah. good lord, just in the EPL in the last two weeks, we've seen teams blow out coaches, right? For, and they're not even the worst. Team. Well, one of them's the worst team, game. right? <laughs> exactly. And so, I just conceptually, just based yeah. on those realities, it's yeah. hard to see them having. A, a really kind of kick-ass year. It is, yeah. But it'd be awesome. I, I just something for, better for me, than the bottom happens. of the West is just not anywhere good near good enough, which is why I have them four, five, six. Just yeah. because the bottom of the West is terrible. The top of the West is really good. They're so not that, that good either. So I'm so, so I'm actually predicting eighth. Is that what you're telling me, Dan? If yeah. You're out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Everybody makes the playoffs. Okay, well, um, I think we've covered it all. Anything, any particular topics that we didn't touch on, fellas, that you'd like to talk about, like the, all the crazy food? By the way, that's one of the best things they've done this offseason is decrease food prices. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great idea. If you want a topic, the one I think is absolutely crazy is that Reggie Cannon is going no carbs as a professional <laughs> athlete. That is insane to me. Because, you, you know, a professional athlete wants to be between 3 and 5% body fat. I get that. Reggie looks a little thinner, looks cut. That's good. Have I'm you considered no carbs, Buzz? Yeah, but I'm not a professional athlete. Oh. I'm just saying, like, if you're, you don't want most professional athletes carbo load before a game because right. you don't want to run out of burnable energy during the game. You don't want to switch over to burning fat during the game. So it's been like the 67th minute we see Reggie just curled up in a lump. Yeah, running like five feet and stopping over on the sidelines, puking and cramping. Cramping. Yeah, up. you don't know why. People eat, throw some him carbs. Bread at yeah, him. eat some carbs, kid. I'm all, all my, I'm, during the week, if you're trying to get trim, that's great. But carbo load for the game or you're going to die. Yeah, see, I think there should be like a couple of packages, loaves of bread in the beer garden. And if Reggie isn't playing well, everybody <laughs> should start bread. throwing It's like bread. that energy gel that they put on the sidelines. Like, like ducks at a pond. You just bread. start throwing crumbs out there. <laughs> eat some carbs, damn it, Brad. Reggie, yeah. Do it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, I hope it's a good season. This is... Uh, I don't. This is the unintended surprise season. None of us were ready. It's for. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, it is gonna be. I mean, yeah. I, out of it, it, along with the disappointment of Oscar not being here, comes with the excitement of trying something new. I mean, even if they're losing, if you're losing with new and losing with young kids and trying to lose, and if it's going towards something, that's still exciting for me. The girl breaks up with you, and finally, after yeah. a few months, you're with a new girl, and all that excitement and everything, nervousness. Oscar's doing great, by the way. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. And that team turned around. It's amazing. Your ex-girlfriend's doing really well. knows what he's doing. That hurts. We still text. We're good. Excellent. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, we Are we doing this weekly? Oh, I don't know why not. Are we making a commitment? No. No, we don't make commitments at third degree. we don't make commitments at third degree. We don't get paid We don't do, do that, for sure. All right. We're, thanks, we'll guys. We'll effort it. How about that? All right. We'll talk to you soon.